Welcome back, everybody, to Mavericks and Misfits. I hope you're doing well today for you that are first-time listeners. My name is Jeff Lyle, and I am grateful to be able to talk to you from week to week. Um, Every Tuesday, we release a new episode of Mavericks and Misfits, and basically what I do is I just come uh, to you after the kingdom. That's really all I'm doing. I love the kingdom of God. I love experiencing it by faith. I love seeing it opened up to other people or other people being opened up to the kingdom, that marvelous way that God works in our lives when we pursue him. And uh, my hope in all of these episodes is to get you to think, to offer an opportunity for hunger to be elevated in your life, spiritual hunger, and for you to you know press in for the more that is in Jesus. And I do my very best to avoid all of the cliche stuff that you know, is commonly kind of thrown around in our churches. I'm just not, I'm not into the stuff, man. I, I really want him. And I feel like that the Christian life is much more raw than it is polished. There's a lot of polish presented about Christianity, especially on social media, um, preaching, teaching, YouTube, you know, reels, anything. It just seems like we're always putting our best polish on stuff and putting it out there. And that's not just, that's just not been my experience as a follower of Jesus. There hasn't been a lot of polish on it. It's, it's been kind of like red clay. I live in Georgia and broadcast from the state of Georgia, the red clay state. Um, I know there's other states with red clay, but man, I grew up in red clay. I remember the first time I saw brown dirt somewhere, I was like, or black dirt too. I was like, what in the world is that? But I remember coming home just covered, caked as a boy with red clay just about every day during the summer. And it's because we were down in the nitty gritty and the dirty and doing what boys do, wrestling, fighting, playing, hiding, all of that stuff. But you, you just came home grimy. And, um, I, I'm a little concerned on a perpetual basis that the the Christianity that is being portrayed through a lot of streams in the United States of America um, doesn't have any red clay on it. It's got a lot of polish. And I think the illusion of that is going to be completely obliterated uh, just by circumstances. External circumstances are going to remove the polish off of Christianity uh, in America and uh we that are going to continue to pour on with Jesus uh, or plow on with Jesus uh, will wear some stains. And I don't know if you're in for that or not. Uh, I don't know who listens all the time. We we can run metrics on the podcast and stuff. I, I actually don't do that. Um, we can, but I do know that people are listening. Our technical producers tell me people are listening. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are unless you reach out to us and let us know. But I, I'm going to assume that there are some listeners who um, don't really have their minds fully made up yet, and they don't know it. What do I mean by that? You don't know how committed you are to Jesus Christ until trouble lands on you and stays a while. I have seen in almost 30 years of walking with Jesus, I have seen an incredible number of people walk away in the shadow of legitimate suffering and struggling when bad things happen and um, they lose their song, they lose their joy, they lose their faithfulness, they lose their theology, they lose their convictions um, because what they had was an initial experience of coming to Jesus 
And what happened in those days was things got better and better and better and better and better and better. And then they carved out some nice, comfortable places in their walk with Jesus. And they maybe they got blessed in their finances. They got blessed in their family. They found a spouse. They, they you know, were delivered from sins and so on and so on. And they just assumed, hey, it's an upward trajectory from the point you get saved until the point you enter into glory. And in one sense, I'll just be honest with you, in one sense, that's true, but it's not an unbroken upward trajectory. Um, There is a decrease that leads to the increase. There is tribulation that leads to power. There is a purification that leads to breakthrough. And the hard part is the church in America for 50, 60 years has done a woeful job of preparing people for trouble. And so if you listen to Mavericks and Misfits regularly, you know it's a pretty common thread. I tell the Lord regularly, God, can I can you just give me something like easy and happy and, you know, encouraging to give to the people that I preach to or the people who listen to the podcast? And sometimes he does, but most of the time, guys, I just got to wear it. He's just there's a mantle of intensity that he just wraps me in and my ministry carries some intensity because I feel like I need to be one of the voices that counterbalances all the shallow, sweet, syrupy, cliche riddled, churchianity kind of messaging that's out there. And so I was um I was on a little bit of a break at the end of twenty twenty three. Our granddaughter was born on December sixteenth and uh, she is just a bundle of love. Um, and we brought her home from the hospital for about two days, and then we had an issue. Um, her body temperature dropped. She would have been, I think, seven days old at this point. Her body temperature dropped, and we couldn't wake her up. She was breathing, but she would not wake up. Her body temperature dropped. We rushed her to the fire station, and at the fire station, they became pretty concerned, so an ambulance came, and um, we had the, we had the experience of, a uh, Alicia and Amy riding in an ambulance with our baby granddaughter while I followed in my car and she stayed in the hospital for several days. And, um, I'm going somewhere with this. So y'all hang in. Um, during those days, they were doing lots of tests on her and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her initially. And so they, they ordered a spinal tap. And that spinal tap um, was going to reveal everything going on in her body. When we were, Amy and I went back to the house to get stuff for Amy to sleep over at the hospital and everything. And on the way back, the spinal tap initial results came in and they were emailed to Alicia who screenshotted it and sent it to Amy. And uh, I'm not going to go into all the details, but it was very, very bleak. They were forecasting many possibilities of very serious issues within our granddaughter. And it hit us like a ton of bricks. Um, But here's the thing. We're used to this. You need to hear me say that again. Amy and I are used to this. We are used to hardcore warfare against our own bodies, against our children, against the ministries God has given us, we're used to it. It doesn't mean we're glib or we're cavalier about it or anything. It's just that um, we know how to respond. 
Um, let me truncate that story for you. The tests were all wrong. The final and more thorough evaluations that were all sent off to the Mayo Clinic, um, there wasn't a single thing in the initial report that was true. So one of two things, either the tests were wrong or the tests were right, but God heard our intercession and healed our granddaughter. I tend to lean towards number two. I don't have to have the exact precise answer. Either the tests were all wrong, very hard to do on a spinal tap, very hard to get those wrong, or they were right and God healed our grandbaby. Well, we asked him to heal our grandbaby and we did a whole lot of rebuking the devil. We just went to war on that ride back to the hospital. Um, I was praying in tongues and Amy was going in and out of tongues and decreeing and declaring over our uh, granddaughter that she would live and not die, that there would be no sickness, no infirmity. And it was war. I'm telling you, it was war for 40 minutes in the, in the vehicle. And of course it didn't stop when we got there. And so, um, we're back home and some people in our church were very kind, wanted to bring a meal. And so I met one of these uh, families, um, and they met me in the parking lot of a church and, uh, the dear lady who I've known for 25 plus years, she said, um, I don't understand the amount of suffering that your family goes through. Why have y'all experienced so much suffering? And she attributed it to the call on my life and Amy's life. And, you know, I packed up the food and, and, and went back home and I thought about what she said because she, she said it and I realized she's saying it from her perspective, but quite frankly, I have to think about my history in order to maybe factually agree with her. So as I was doing so over the next really day or two, it wasn't like I got obsessed with it. I was like, Lord, what have you allowed us to go through as followers of Jesus? And let me just share with you a little bit because I'm all I'm going to do is I'm just giving you a little bit of my story today. Um, and then I'm going to call you to do something with your story. Okay. So, my salvation was in 94, as you regular listeners know. I was delivered from a, a really bad life of sin and addiction. I uh, married Amy three years later. Um, three years after that, um, we had uh, Alicia. She was our firstborn, and she was born in 2000. And immediately after that, within I think a year and a half, uh, I was made the lead pastor of uh, the church we were attending at that time when our pastor stepped down. And right before they made me the full-time pastor, I was doing the interim pastor work. And this is going to make sense later. This in and of itself doesn't constitute suffering, but I'm, 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 I'm going to give you a piece of the puzzle. The, I think it was two days after they named me the interim pastor, um, a man read a red, ran a red light uh, and he T-boned me. He T-boned me, totaled my vehicle, sent me to the hospital. It was minor. It wasn't that big of a deal, but it, 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 it got me pretty good. And, um, you know, we just, we carry on, we move on. Um, the next few years were, were challenging with ministry, but they, I would not call them suffering at all. Uh, matter of fact, the hand of God was on us pretty strong, um, from about 2002, 2000 to about 2005. And then our boy Landon was born in 05 and um, within 
uh, I think six weeks, he began experiencing seizure, seizure-like episodes. Um, he was seizing up. It was happening frequently. You can imagine terrifying Amy's laying down her baby boy to get his diaper change, and he, his eyes roll back in his head, and his limbs go stiff, and he's seizing up. And so um, we end up at the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, and ironically, Atlanta has to have a spinal tap. And they're doing all these tests on him. Amy stays by his side, never left the hospital. I don't even know that she left the hospital room for about six days. And I had to come back up to Atlanta to take care of Alicia, who was our five-year-old at that time. And um, it was just kind of intense. And so we, we, we come out of that episode, and the doctors do all of these tests. And they say even the EKG is not registering registering. Um, seizure actual seizures there's no brain activity that indicates seizures but his body is seizing and so they literally sent us home saying we don't know what it is now amy and i were not really well versed in those days in warfare um we believed that the devil is an enemy but we did not understand anything about the believer's authority but we believed that the word of god told us what to do which was to anoint and to pray and so we laid hands on our little boy and we prayed over him, and we anointed him, and uh, he never had another seizure-like episode. Never. All right, so flash forward. A lot of ministry stuff happened. I'm not even going to get into the ministry, quote-unquote, suffering parts. There was plenty of it. We were transitioning our church from a narrow kind of legalistic, traditional viewpoint into a more biblically framed New Testament church. And anytime you start bringing in a new wineskin, a new wine, there's going to be trouble. I don't put that in suffering. I just put that in the context of, yeah, you signed up for this, Jeff, so deal with it. But the more suffering came in 2011. And in 2011, on my birthday, June 16th, um, Amy was with her mom going to get birthday dinner and bring it back. And as many of you know, a man crossed the center line going 50, hit Amy going 40. And uh, it was a massive head-on collision. Uh, my mother-in-law died from the injuries sustained in that wreck. And Amy almost lost her life. Um, they were able to cut her out of the car. Um, she was mangled. Um, the only thing really that didn't get touched in her whole being was her pretty face. But everything else was just trashed, and um, especially her right leg. And so um, some amazing surgeons put her back together. Um, she stayed in the hospital several weeks, came home, was in a hospital bed in a wheelchair for months and months, had to relearn how to walk again. Um, all the while having, you know, an 11 year old and a six year old trying, and she's just trying to be a mom serving as a pastor's wife all those years being cut off from her church, leading worship. She couldn't do anything. And then grieving the loss of her mom. Um, so that was the second catastrophic wreck. Um, let me let me reframe that. The wreck where I was T-boned was not catastrophic. It was just high intensity. Hers was catastrophic, resulting in a permanent life change to her. Um, until God manifests the full healing in that right leg, Amy lives with a constant amount of pain that nobody knows about because she doesn't want anybody feeling sorry for her. But she lives with a constant amount of pain and very limited mobility. And... Um, you know, so people, people don't often realize that she's actually on paper disabled. Now, we don't come into agreement with that on a permanent basis, but it is something that we press through by faith. And then, of course, her mom passes away. Okay, so we're flashing forward again. The day after I bring Amy home from the hospital from that wreck, the day after, uh, I'm going to pick up her prescriptions. And as I'm pulling out, another vehicle T-bones me. 
Okay. So that's two T-bones and one head on in the amount of time we've been married. That's an unusual amount of struggle and warfare. By that time, I was well-versed enough to understand the enemy is on assignment to kill me and more than likely kill my wife and possibly tried to kill my son. And so I'm talking, going back to the seizures and all of that stuff. And so we began to get real sober and recognize that a, a proper understanding of warfare um, is not a luxury for the Lyles. We have to become well-versed and skilled and equipped by God and knowing how to win these battles. And so um, time goes on and we went through a lot, a lot of breaking through ministry. Our marriage suffered because of ministry. There were very, very hard times for Amy and I as a husband and wife. It cost my kids an incredible amount. There was massive betrayals um, by church members. Um, the worst I ever went through was just a couple of years ago at the church. I now pastor. It's under a different name now. Literally, we broke the curse and broke the name off of it because we wanted no association with what had happened uh, through some of the people that left what was then called Church at Winder. It was the worst attack I've ever been in in my life as, as far as like ministry, spiritual attack. Um, and so, but it was it was so satanic and so demonic that I knew that the people that were being used by the enemy had no clue. They had no, I don't think they did. I hope they didn't for their soul's sake. But the things that were being done and said was nothing more than Jezebel, Python, and witchcraft. And if you're not a charismatic believer, those words may not mean much to you. I don't have time to explain them today, but it was that. Um, and again, it was the intention to, um, to get me out of this county so that I couldn't fulfill the assignment of God that he had given me. I had a man. A minister who cursed me in the name of Jesus to my face for about 30 minutes in a meeting with other leaders and literally said, thus saith the Lord, you will never pastor again. You will not do this. You're a wicked shepherd. It was terrible. And the amount of demonic activity on that messed me up for about eight weeks. So finally we get down to this. And we're like, man, we I'm going through deliverance. I got to get this junk off of me. I forgot to tell you one thing. Uh, about two months before that meeting where I was word cursed in the name of the Lord um, by that man, about two months before that, Amy and I are riding uh, to go visit uh, my mom, my stepmom on her birthday, August 12th. And guess what? A car plows through an intersection and T-bones us, putting my wife in the hospital again. Now, guys, I don't, I don't want you to, like, please, the point of this is not to feel sorry for me. I can't stand that. Amy's worse than me. She doesn't want anybody feeling sorry for her. But I'm, I'm providing context to let you know that it's unusual for a couple in you know 15 years to have three T-boned intersection wrecks and a head-on collision and a child that is um, you know taken into the hospital for seizure-like episodes for which there was no explanation. And to have a grandbaby that had the exact same thing. And to have a mother, my mother-in-law, Amy's mom, die in a tragic accident, just like Amy's grandmother died in a, in a car with her daughter. It's just incredible. And so as we think through these things and circling back to what that precious lady said to me in the church parking lot, Jeff, I don't know why you've been entrusted with so much suffering. And then she says, I think it's connected to the plans God has through you and your wife. And here's my answer. She's exactly right. 
Jesus taught us this about the devil. He's a thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Most of you know that verse. How do you apply it to your life? How do you apply the reality that you have an enemy who is a valid, real personality? He's not an idea. He doesn't represent something. There's a real devil, and there are real demons. And their pledge is to steal whatever they can steal from your life. And they will kill you if they can kill you. And for every person out there, they would love to destroy them. And that includes up to the extent of destroying a soul in hell by blinding their eyes to the gospel, by blinding the eyes of those that do not believe to the gospel. This is the activity of Satan. And the church is acting like um, we don't have an actual entity to fight. And because we don't know how to fight the devil, the church fights itself. And we've got to get to this place where we recognize that the intensity of the warfare is increasing. You won't be able to deny that in six months. It's increasing. It's going to come from the culture at a higher level than you've ever seen. It's going to come privately because the enemy only fights those whose hearts are set for the glory of God. The average Christian is going to experience some difficulty, but the average outwardly professing Christian in America isn't a Christian. They are Christian by religion, but they are not Christ's by conversion. They just, it's the checkbox. What religion are you? Well, I am either Buddhist, I am either Muslim, I am either Jewish, I am either Christian. Um, yeah, I will check Christian because we're a Christian nation. You, you, can, you can believe all the facts in the world about Jesus Christ, but until you're converted, you don't have what it takes to endure warfare, and you're not equipped. And so what's going to happen is the intensity of the fire is going to be coming against the church, and there's going to be increased measure of suffering. And apologies ahead of time to all of you that live in the, in the realm, that version of charismatic teaching that says, oh, as long as I'm walking with the Lord, ain't none of that touching me. Have you read your Bible what about the Apostle Paul? What about the, all the apostles? What about John? What about all the suffering saints that Peter was writing to in his two letters? They lived in the exact same epoch as you live in, post-resurrection, filled with the Holy Spirit. They suffered. And so when we're looking at the mindlessness of the church today that really, really thinks that we're just going to keep escalating and escalating in an unbroken pattern of wins and triumphs, until Jesus comes again, I, you're not ready for what's coming. So I'm, I, I told you a little bit of our story. I purposefully didn't go too deep because I promise you this. I can recognize on paper that Amy and I and my family have been entrusted with some of the most difficult things. I can recognize that on paper, but I don't feel sorry for myself. I feel immeasurably blessed. Now, have I always handled each moment of that suffering perfectly with glory unto God and joy in my heart? No. No, you have to learn how to war. And when bombs are going off and bullets are flying and the devil's bearing his lion teeth at you and demons are coming with their daggers, I'm not just sitting around, you know, singing Chris Tomlin songs or whistling Bethel tunes. War is war. But I'm going to tell you, when, when the bombs stop going off and the, the cloud moves out and I get, I get perspective, I realize he's worth it. I'm only being attacked because 
Satan hates what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves his own. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. And when you make up your mind that your life is going to be all about the glory of this one named Jesus, you just put a bullseye on you. And there's no getting around it. And the dodging of suffering and the dodging of trouble and the dodging of sacrifice and the, the desire to carry a cross but not don't let it be too heavy, Lord, and don't let it pierce me or splinter me or slow me down, that's fake Christianity. It's stupid. It's unbiblical. It's ungodly. And it's leading to a lot of people stumbling and being offended at the Lord when trouble comes. We need to recognize that this process of God allowing trouble into our lives is not unique to us. It's the lot of every believer. And if you aren't careful, you may be presuming that the level you've been tested at in the past proves that you'll be fine with the level of testing that's coming. And guys, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm wearing like a holy sobriety on my head right now. And I am deeply concerned. I'm actually going to the Lord on behalf of my own soul and saying, God, I feel like I'm ready for what's coming. But I just got like a, this morning, I was actually getting ready. I got this wave of, are you sure you're ready, Jeff? Are you sure you're ready to endure what's coming? And I tell you, I began to just cry out right then and there. It's like, God, I don't know. I think I'm ready, Lord, but you know. You know if I'm ready. And um, I got to work on me. I got I to gotta ask myself how much of my life is built on the props of flesh? How much is book theology that hasn't translated into the raw red clay of warring it out? And if we are seeing defections from the church at this low level of persecution and intensity, it's very, very low, very low. But we're already seeing people say, eh, I, don't want, I don't want people at work not to like me because I'm against um, you know, the cultural norms of sexuality. They embrace everything, but I'm a Christian and my Bible says this. But I don't want to be that guy at work, so I'm going to back off of that. You could take the issue of the unborn. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, politics being what it is, we can't die on that hill anymore. We'll just go ahead and embrace that infanticide is a normal part of the American culture, and we'll just go silent on that because we have bigger issues. And then what we talk about, like, just the nuclear family and gender, and how do we regard the sanctity of children's lives, not the unborn, but the already born, and they're being sacrificed up to you know, pedophile mo movements, some hidden and some becoming not so hidden. Like, why are we falling away as the American church? And if it's happening in these days where everything's easy, what do you think is going to happen when real suffering comes? So I don't know your story. My guess is your story has some, some loss in it, some struggle, some deep, deep pain some confusing, confusing moments, some deep disappointments, some scars. And this is what I'm going to say to you as I close. Don't ignore the scars. Don't pretty them up. Uh, the deepest scars will hold the most oil. The Lord will fill your scars, your wounds with oil. 
And from that oil, you'll keep pressing on. I, I don't pronounce woe. I don't declare doom. I'm not word cursing anything. I am a Bible believer. And what I read in the scriptures tell me that the closer we get to the second coming of the Son of God, the worse things are going to be for believers on earth. I'm sorry that's inconvenient for a lot of you who are just trying to enjoy your day. But we need a little bit of sobriety. Do I celebrate? I celebrate because the end of the story is not suffering. The end of the story is deliverance, freedom, victory, triumph. We will crush the serpent's head and all the little demon scorpions are going to be under our feet. That's the end of the story. That is why. That's the fuel for why we endure. But you can't afford to get sidetracked in these days. You got to narrow your gaze. You got to focus. You got to put your hand to the plow. You got to deny yourself. These are seasons of fasting and praying and seeking the face of God and renouncing self, killing the seeds of bitterness in us, divorcing ourselves from all the sensationalized scandals that are happening in the culture and the church. Some of you need to give yourself a break from you know trolling all the stuff out of IHOP KC. You've been doing that for weeks and months. It has not helped your soul. Let them handle it. Let them handle it. It's not helping your soul to keep up with the latest thread on what's going on out there. Same thing with the Epstein client list. Same thing with President Biden. Same thing with all of the stuff, man. There's Glance at those headlines if you must, but good night alive. Fix your gaze on the truth of the word of God so that when suffering hits you, you can endure. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but as I have been recording this podcast, rains have started to pour. Can you hear that? I don't know if it's being picked up by the mic, but the rain is falling, thundering here in Bethlehem, Georgia. It's falling. I think that's a symbol for two things. Some strong and dark, heavy clouds are going to be moving in. But those strong, dark, heavy clouds contain the latter rain. They're not in opposition to each other. I believe that what's coming is going to be carrying within it the opportunity for an amazing astounding outpouring on those who will say yes so friend my hope today is that'll be you we'll talk to you next time on mavericks and misfits thanks for listening to today's episode of mavericks and misfits if you are helped by what jeff shared today please take a moment to rate and review mavericks and misfits with jeff lyle on itunes or spotify your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.